good morning. It's, uh, it's good to see you. Those of you who are uh, normally with us, welcome. Those of you who are guests with us, uh, welcome. My name is Steve Cunningham. I get to be the lead pastor here at Wellhouse. Uh, I'm excited, uh, really, really excited. Some of you, I had no idea how talented you were, and I walked through the tables a little bit ago, and man, uh, we have a lot of really talented people. Uh, I was disappointed. I saw Tara Blair had her name out on the on the table, but there was nothing there. So uh, <laughs> there's just nothing. Uh, so I don't know what you're talented at, Tara, but bring it over to my house, would you? Uh, we don't have to share that. And uh, uh, the Gateway Kids, wow, wow, that was awesome. Uh, in December, I got to go to a coffee and, what was that called? Coffee and holiday coffee. I just remember having coffee and watching these kids perform, and uh, Miss Traxler, wow, wow. Uh, I, let me tell you something, yeah, let me tell you something you did not see, okay? You didn't see this. Uh, I got to see it, and she's over with the kids, these group of fourth and fifth grade kids. Remember, remember yourself, fourth and fifth grade? And she's over there, and she gathers them together, and she says, all right, everybody put your hands in. And she says, repeat after me, you know, I am worthy. And she keeps going on and on about the, the values that they have. Even if I make a mistake, it's not about that, right? Uh, it's about having joy. I love that. Thank you. So thank you for letting me see that. I appreciate the way that you breathe into uh, to them, and I appreciate them being here with us today. We, uh, we've been going over the last couple of weeks together, uh, this series called For Me. And I love that because in our life, we need somebody who is for us. And for some of us, that was our parents or maybe a grandparent, aunt or uncle. Maybe it was somebody at church that you knew or just somebody in, in, you know, around your community that was for you. Others of us, we didn't really feel like we had that person that was, you know, for us in our life. And so that has made being an adult hard because we are not still not sure that there's anybody for us. But as we look at the, the biblical text, as we look at the Bible, we recognize that pretty much the entire thing uh, from, from beginning to end is God's way of saying he's for you. In fact, we read the story in Genesis where God created this amazing garden. Everything was perfect. You had everything you could ever want right there. Of course, just like humankind, uh, we screwed that up real quick, right? Have you ever had something that was really nice and didn't have it very long, and then all of a sudden it kind of went kaput, right? That's exactly what happened. And ever since then, the Bible records this story of God trying to show us that he's for us. And one of the ways, one of the big ways that he shows us he's for us is through his son, Jesus. And so we've been looking at this story of Jesus, especially as it leads up to the story of Easter. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've kind of looked at parts and pieces of coming up to the story of, of his resurrection. But in order to get there, we had to go through some difficult stories. We looked at how Jesus was betrayed for us. Have you ever been betrayed by maybe a spouse or maybe a family member? Uh, maybe it was a close friend you were betrayed. Well, Jesus was betrayed by one of his 12 closest friends, one of his followers named Judas. 
And what we discovered through that story is that hunger for success or attention or intimacy or affirmation can either be filled by God or it can be fuel for Satan. It can either be filled by God or it can be fuel for Satan. And we found ourselves in that place right before where we're starving for success. We're starving for attention. We're starving for compliments or that somebody would want us. And then we kind of travel down a road that's not so great for us. That's exactly what happened to Judas, right? He, he, he begins starving for success that he wants to be making something of his life and making something of Jesus' ministry. And ultimately that comes to Jesus' demise. Last week, we talked about the story of Pilate and how uh, after Jesus betrayed uh, by Judas, he goes before Pilate. He's on trial and, and uh, that ultimately he's accused. Jesus accused for us, right? That, that we're the guilty party. Jesus is really innocent, but, but we're the ones that, that stand accused. But Jesus stands in our way of that and that oftentimes in our life, we, we struggle um, with really claiming what to do with Jesus. He, he stands in the path of our accusations, but what do we do? And we talked about indifference in our faith. And we said this, that indifference in your faith looks like allowing your schedule or your resources or your time or your preferences to affect your commitment to God. That a lot of times there's things that get in the way that cause us to be indifferent in our faith walk. And this week we're going to be talk, uh, talking about being uh, punished for me, that Jesus was, took my place in, in punishment. And I want to start with kind of a weird story. I know it may not make a whole lot of sense at first, but a long time ago, a long time ago, they used to believe that germs and bacteria and, and bad things like that just kind of popped out of nowhere. There was a term for it. It was called spontaneous generation. So therefore, if you took like a hunk of meat, you go home today, uh, and you take a steak, and it's really nice, and you put it on the counter, right? And then you leave it there overnight, and then the next few days, you know, you don't touch that thing, and then eventually, it starts growing weird things on it, right? Uh, and, that, and they would believe that what happened there is spontaneous generation, that out of nowhere, eventually something happens, and then it kind of overtakes things. That's what they believed happened. That's why people got sick. It was spontaneous generation. That's how mold came, a spontaneous generation. But then came a guy named Louis Pasteur. Louis Pasteur changed the game. He changed a lot of medical history and the way that we do things now because Louis Pasteur uh, discovered something that he called the germ theory. And the germ theory, and, and, and I can only imagine as he's standing around a group of doctors and scientists at the time, he says, no, 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 it's not a spontaneous generation. There's actually these itty-bitty bugs. You can't even see them. And they grow and they make you sick. Well, and they say, there's, there, I mean, there's no way there's something that small that can be that powerful. And he says, no, 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 it's true. I mean, it's, it's so small, like you can barely see it with a microscope. But I'm telling you. It's there. Germ theory. Sometimes there's things in our life that we don't see because it seems invisible to us. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but uh, I've made my fair 
share of mistakes in my life. I remember I was in the sixth grade. Now, none of you youngsters get any ideas off of this, but uh, I was in the sixth grade, and I wasn't the best of students. I've confessed that to you before. I wasn't the best of students. Uh, and I was pretty notorious for not doing assignments. I was behind on several assignments. I was sick for a few days. Calculate that all up. I probably had like a month's worth of work that I had not turned in. Well, my teacher decided that they were going to put on a, uh, a class movie if everybody had their work done, which I think he was singling me out. I don't know. I'm not sure, but I, <laughs> I thought, oh, great. Well, this teacher also would put graded papers uh, back for, for kids to take. So what I did was I took those papers and I thought, what I'll do is I'll just write people's answers that got good grades, right? I'll take them out in the hall, I'll write them down on mine, and then uh, this, this will solve problems really quick. Except for that seemed like too much work for me at the time too. <laughs> Your opinion of me went really low, right? And you're like, geez, gosh. Yeah, I know. It's sad. I get it. Um, and so so I, what I did was I was like, how about this? How about I just erase their name? That's going to save way more time. Put my name on it and just tell them, you must have forgot. I turned this in. You already gave me a grade for it. This is true. I did do this. All right. But the problem is, is that it's dark. It's dark because we're playing a movie. And I'm sitting in the back of the class. And I can't see that I'm not fully erasing somebody else's name. Nevertheless, it doesn't even look like my writing, right? It all makes sense in my head. I, I think I erase the names. I write my name over it. I turn them all in, you know, within a matter of five minutes because I'm that bright. Uh. <laughs> and the teacher says, hey, I think we have a problem I'm like, what's that? What, 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 what can possibly have a problem about, right? And he says, these aren't yours. And I was like, I think they are. They got my name on them. <laughs> and he brings me out into the hallway where now I can clearly see that I have not fully erased all of the names. And it's not my work. We have a talk <laughs> that leads to other talks, that leads to... Steve having problems at home, right? Because uh, that's how things work back then. Um, and it reminded me that there are some things that are bigger than a mistake that you can't erase. See, a mistake is insufficient knowledge. A mistake is to misunderstand or misinterpret. So, for instance, if you were driving somewhere and you had never been there before, and I told you, all right, listen, by the tall building with a lot of windows, you're going to turn right, but accidentally you saw a different tall building with a lot of windows and you turned there instead, that would be a mistake because you just had insufficient knowledge. You didn't know right? It was a misunderstanding. You misinterpreted something, right? That's a mistake. You can correct a mistake. You can go back and say, all right, you know, I turned there last time. That's wrong. This time I'm going to do something different. But for some of us, but for some of us, um, we plan our mistakes. Some of us have habitual mistakes, some of us, the reason why we have a hard time getting along with our spouse or our kids or somebody in our family or our coworker is because we have a mistake in our life that we're just okay with. And here's the thing is that I think it's deeper than a mistake. 
See, I think what we're trying to call spontaneous generation is really germ theory. That there's something else different at play, and I think the thing at play is that we don't just have a mistake problem, we have a sin problem. And I know that's not a popular word, like if you're like, hey, preach a sermon on sin, everybody's like, woo, yeah, yeah. yes, sweet, I've been waiting for that one. Um, but I promise you the rest of this message you're going to love. Because the whole idea that God is for you is that he recognizes. He's like the teacher, right? He sees your feeble attempt at trying to like, all right, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make it better. And the whole time is just like futile. And he says, no, 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 no. I'm not going to leave you in what you think is a mistake. It's a sin and it's a deeper problem. And you can't even eradicate it. You can't erase it hard enough. You can't try harder. You can't be better. It's not a mistake, it's a sin, and sin is separation from God. See, sin leads to a separation we, we cannot fix. Have you ever been there in a relationship before where you said something or you did something, uh, somebody else said something or did something, you're like, yeah, this is never, like we may be friends again, but this is never gonna be the same. And this is what happens in our relationship with God and sin. We see that in the, in the very early beginning in Genesis, right? That man sins and there's this divide between man and God. And the whole rest of the time, God's saying, listen, it's not a mistake problem. This isn't something you can solve on your own. This is a sin problem and you're going to need me. And so the rest of the time, God is chasing us down. This is the story of Jesus. This past week, many of you uh, have had a lot to contemplate with uh, the happenings at Covenant School. There's a lot of thoughts about that. Uh, what I can tell you for sure is my heart hurts when people hurt. And if your heart doesn't hurt when people hurt, then maybe it's time to check your heart a little bit. There's people in our community who are grieving. They're grieving dreams they'll never see. So our heart hurts for that. I love it. I'm going to give him the mic in a minute. He's going to tell us what to do. I don't know. He's good. He's good. That's great. I love it. I was reminded just a few days before that event, however, actually three days before, that it was the 25th anniversary of the Jonesboro, Arkansas, Westside Junior High shooting. It was one of the, the, the biggest school shootings in, in uh, the last hundred years. And in that happening, as I was reading just a few days before, there was a teacher, her name was Shannon Wright. And Shannon Wright saw what was going on a uh, 32-year-old teacher, and she saw as the two students who were going down um, the hallway and shooting, she saw a 9-year-old girl, sorry, 11-year-old girl standing there. Her name was Emma Pittman, and uh, Emma Pittman was in the line of fire, and so Shannon stood in front of this girl, and it cost her her life. 
Miss Wright's life for Emma Pittman's life. And I wonder if you ever felt like anybody would ever do that for you, right? Like, are you that valuable in life that somebody would literally die for you? And it was interesting to see just, again, a few days before this year, just a, few, just a week ago, how that impacted Emma's life. It was like her life had new meaning, new value. She saw something different that she hadn't seen before. And because somebody was willing to pay the ultimate price for her, she recognized her life had value. And I want to tell you, that is the story of God for you. Isaiah 53, Isaiah is in the Old Testament. It's, it's a book of, uh, from a prophet. A prophet is somebody who, who delivers a message on God's behalf to the people. And Isaiah is prophesying about this future Messiah, one who is for you and I. And he says this in Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message and to whom uh, has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or no majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like uh, one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we're healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned the grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor any deceit was in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. And my righteous servant will justify many and he'll bear the iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and gave intercession for the transgressors. See, this is the story of God for you, sending Jesus to die for you, being punished for you, standing in your place for you. See, you had a much bigger problem than a mistake, 
you can't fix it. And for some of us, we've tried since we were as small as we can remember, and we can't figure out why we keep wrestling with those things over and over and over again. And God says, no, 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 it's not a mistake problem you have. You're not a mistaker. You're a sinner, and you can't fix that. Only I can, and so I will. I'm for you. And long before you were born, God put in place a plan. It was the the only plan that would work. It was sending someone to die for you so that this divide wouldn't have to be there forever. It's a beautiful story. It's a story that we have to understand in order for it to really truly make sense. As we look at why Jesus has to die, why does that have to happen for us? Couldn't there be another way? We have to understand the depth of our problem. We understand that we have a sin problem. And we have to understand that God's purpose in addressing that with us. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I find that some people get a little too happy about pointing out my flaws. Been around people like that. I remember working with a lady who, she, she was just, it was like her joy in life was to make me feel bad. Uh, and she was great at it. Um, <laughs> just, it, was, it was, I don't know if it was a spiritual gift, but it was, it was a gift she had for sure. Um, and I think sometimes we can approach the Bible that way. I was like, is this all just to make me feel bad? And I'll be honest with you. I've been a part of churches before where it just felt like such heavy weight and heavy guilt. And you just never felt good enough. And I want to tell you, that's not the reason why, why we understand from God that our sinful self. In fact, Jesus tells this story. It's in the New Testament. It's a story of, uh, of the prodigal son. Maybe you've heard it before. And, and really, then the story, Jesus tells that there's this son who, who demands from his father before he even dies his stake of the inheritance, right? We usually get an inheritance maybe when one of our parents passes away or parents pass away. And, but he, did, he can't wait for his dad to die, so he says he wants it. Then he goes off and he squanders it on wild living, Right? And then he comes to his senses, and he goes back home. The father is there. Man, he meets him with open arms. And there is like no condemnation there at all. It's all welcome back. And he reestablishes relationship. And that is God's purpose in addressing sin. Is to, is to establish restoration, not condemnation. This is huge. This is the story of the cross. The story of the cross also is this, that Jesus' death isn't meant to remind you of your guilt, but God's love. Now, maybe one of the most well-known uh, passages in the Bible, John 3.16, remember it? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son right this is the story of the cross it's not men so you should feel bad about all the things and you should feel bad about the way that, that God has to step in and sacrifice his son and man you should look at yourself and say whew I'm a terrible horrible hu uh, just a mess of a human I mean all those things are true <laughs> but that's not how God views it 
Jesus' death is to remind you of his great love for you. See, that day when Miss Wright stood in line of the bullet for little Emma Pittman was about love. It was about doing something for someone, not so they could return the favor. There was nothing else that Emma Pittman can do for her. Only love would drive those actions. And so I wonder for us, because God so loved us and he's been so for us, then what do we do? What do we do with that? And I look at the students today who are, who are gathered up and playing their instruments, or I look at the various creations in the back, or I look at the way that people serve and come early and set up, or love on people through the week, and I'm reminded of this, that, that gratitude is important. That gratitude, the life of gratitude is important in the way that we live because of what God has done for us. See, gratitude is the ability to find joy in the present, understanding that it is a gift. I don't know if you woke up the, this way today, but did you know today is just a gift for you from God? He gave that to you. And for some of you, you know, you woke up today, you know, you woke up today and you were grumpy already. The day had not even started. And you will blame it on coffee, and I get that because I'm a coffee lover. You, you might blame that on getting up earlier, the alarm clock, or a busy day, or a busy week, or a hard week, or difficult season of your life. But today, my friend, is a gift. And the best way that you can live into that is being thankful for what God has done for you. Listen, I get it. No life is perfect. Man, no life is perfect. And if you and I sat down and had coffee this week, I'm sure you could give me a laundry list of things in your life that you would love to change. And if you'd listen back, I would tell you the same. One of the best things we can do with this gift of God standing in our punishment for us is to live a life full of gratitude for the things around us. Because truly God has blessed you and he, my friends, he is for you. He is for you. And today we gather around in something called communion or the Lord's Supper or Eucharist. We have tables set up on either side and you're welcome to participate in that in just a moment. It's a reminder for us of the love that God has for us and also a reminder for us to live a life of gratitude, to be a person that lives in the present knowing that God is for us. So in a moment, I will say a prayer of blessing over us and then you'll be dismissed to the tables I'd encourage you to go with your family or maybe a, a group of friends or a couple other people. And you can take the emblems there and pray together and remind each other something small. Maybe it's even just one word 
something that you are grateful for today because God is for you. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and give you peace. To him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with tremendous joy. May you be swept away in God's love for you and transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to our only God, our Savior, whose unparalleled and unchanging, who is matchless and merciful, who is supreme and sufficient, who is before all things and through all things and in all things, both now and forever. Amen. You are dismissed to the tables for communion.